The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and uh, it's me, your rabbi, welcoming you. Thanks for being here. Much appreciated. I love these opportunities we have every week to share important ideas that impact our lives, our fortunes, our finances, our faith, our families, our friendships, all of those things. But uh, first of all, we always have to get rid of those that drain all the energy in the room. And so let's press the right button and open the trap door that'll suck out the sycophants, cynics, and skeptics. Press. Gone. Great. And now let's press the next button and open the trap door that'll dump the drifters and dreamers and derelicts. Great. And that just leaves you and me, my friends. We the happy warriors. And another great happy warrior was uh, the remarkable Pope Benedict XVI, who, by the way, I still don't get why he resigned. I just, I don't know if we'll ever know. I I do think that there is a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes things that happen in a large and uh, venerable organization like the Vatican. So I don't know if we'll ever find out all of those things, but why on earth did he have to resign? And why did he have to be replaced by, well, okay, fine. Well, one of the terrific things that uh, Pope Benedict uh, said, it uh, it was a while ago already, it was in 2004, He said the following, If Europe hates itself, the West thereby reveals a hatred of itself which is so strange that it can only be considered pathological. The West no longer loves itself. In its own history, it now sees only what is deplorable and destructive, while it is no longer able to perceive what is great and pure. 
And uh, Pope Benedict is absolutely correct. Of course there is a hatred of itself, and that is why there is this bizarre psychosexual love affair between the uh, liberal socialists of the West and the Islamic jihadists who are doing everything in their power to destroy the West. And in so doing, they are satisfying one of the deepest impulses that is found lying at the bottom of the cesspool of secular fundamentalism, a desire to undermine, damage, and destroy everything that Western civilization has built. Why is that? Well, we may still come to that. but uh, and, and there's a lot I'd love to tell you about that, but in a nutshell, right now, uh, the, the reason is because deep at a perhaps subconscious level, they understand that Western civilization is a product of Christianity, and Christianity is a product of Judaism, and Judaism is a product of a remarkable, mysterious, majestic volume called the Bible. Uh, there is a deep awareness of the truth of what I've just said, and anything that would uh, result in the success and vindication of the West means that the Bible is being vindicated and its author likewise. And that is an absolutely intolerable vision. I think there is a deep understanding that Western civilization is built on its Christian foundation, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that the Constitution of the European Union passed a thousand pages now and still growing because they cannot finish it off because they always think of a few more rules, regulations, and restrictions that have to be built in. Uh, interestingly enough, not a single mention of Christianity, not a single mention of the Bible, not a single mention of God, which is bizarre. You're talking about a historic melding together of European countries, of Western civilization. Fine. Well, anyway, you get the idea. Uh, enough of that. And the point is, though, that the moment, the instant you give up your principles and your values, the moment you laugh at those principles and those values, you're dead. Your culture is dead. Your civilization is dead. And that is something which is now taking place, whether it is on the, the talk shows of American comedy television, whether it is in the hallways of the European Union in Brussels and in Strasbourg, France, the, uh, the, the, the ridicule that is heaped on the West and its values and its beliefs really constitute the death warrant of civilization. It's an enormous problem and certainly one that we can see very clearly here in the United States as well. But unfortunately... There is a blindness not only to that problem, not only is there a blindness to the fact that when you teach children everything that's wrong with your country and nothing that's right, when you teach them that all values and all beliefs are equally invalid and that there is nothing special about the worldview of the Judeo-Christian culture, then you are, in essence, digging the grave of Western civilization. 
And how do we see this practically happening? Well, now listen, I don't want to make you gloomy, and uh, I'm hoping that, like most people, you will listen all the way through, maybe not in one go. One of the great things about podcasts um, is that you don't have to listen to it all in one go. Uh, you know, when it comes to terrestrial radio, uh, one of the statistics I got hold of while I was uh, doing a show on KSFO in San Francisco for a few years, uh, which I love doing, by the way, great station, and at the time it was being managed and run by radio giants, people who really knew radio. And one of the things I remember I was I was a little bit puzzled to, to discover, but obviously as soon as I was told it, it made perfect sense, which is that uh, almost nobody listens to the entirety of a show on television, excuse me, on radio. Uh, you turn on your, your radio, you're in the car many times, you're driving to work, and when you get there, you turn off the car, you're going on an errand, you turn off the radio. Uh, you might be listening at home while you're doing something, an odd job or a chore or something. When it's done, you turn off. Nobody listens to the whole thing. But podcasting statistics are very different. The overwhelming majority of you, if you listen to a podcast, you listen all the way through. So if you listen all the way through, uh, I promise you we won't end up in a gloomy place. We never will. I certainly don't want to do that. Um, and there's, there's reason not to do it. But to lay out the groundwork first, yes, it does sound a little bit gloomy. But first of all, let's examine something interesting, which is that not everybody feels that it's gloomy. What do I mean by that? Well, um, China. China is producing almost everything. Take a look at the, the label under your computer. Uh, take a look at parts for your car. Take a look at your very shoes. Unless you're wearing an Allen Edmonds shoe and... Uh, I, they are not, as far as I know, sponsors of our show, but they ought to be because I talk about them. Uh, they make a very fine shoe. I think it's one of the very few people, one of the very few companies still manufacturing shoes in America. But otherwise, you go buy a pair of shoes. You tell me, when last did you look at a pair of shoes and it said made in the USA? Right? New Balance used to have uh, some shoes made here, but Nike's been I mean, I don't think they've ever made shoes here. None of your iPhone is made in the United States of America or your uh, your uh, your your uh, Samsung phone or any, any, whatever phone you're using. No, not made in America. Many times made in China. Does that matter at all? Well, let's take it just a little bit further, and let's talk about some of the companies that China has purchased. Um the uh, Chicago Stock Exchange. I don't think the purchase is absolutely finalized yet, but as far as I know, all obstacles have been removed. All American regulatory obstacles have been removed, and, um, and the Chicago Stock Exchange is going to be owned by the Chongqing Kassen Enterprise Group of China. Now, it used to be owned by groups uh, by a group, you know, that included Bank of America and J.P. Morgan and, uh, uh, and a couple of other investment banking firms like Goldman Sachs. Uh, it was an American institution, and the Chicago Stock Exchange plays a very important role. But China is buying it. Okay. Uh, what about uh, – what else? Um, AMC. 
the it's the largest movie theater chain in the United States, right? AMC. You you, you go to an AMC theater probably in your town. Uh, that was bought, uh, what, about four or five years ago. But no talk about this, by the way. Uh, I, I don't even know if you realize that when you buy a ticket at your local Cineplex from AMC, uh, the profit of that is going to China. Uh, they Dalian Wonder Group bought it. You know, does it matter how much they paid for it? Not really. It's nearly three billion. But but so what? The point is they own it. How uh, about a deal more than twice as big as that? That was uh, Smithfield Foods. All right. Well, I don't eat pork or ham, but. Uh, Right, there's nothing wrong with it. By the way, let's just clarify that. Every now and then I see this old lie popping up that uh, the Bible prohibited Jews from eating pork because of trichinosis. There was no refrigeration in the desert. and It's complete and utter nonsense. The idea that, uh, that the prohibition was for anatomical or biological or medical reasons, it's simply not true. It's a totally spiritual thing, and... Uh, and physically, there's absolutely nothing harmful about pork at all. And medical statistics will, will prove that. It's complete nonsense. Anyways, um, so I'm sure many of you enjoy sp- particularly a holiday uh, boneless sliced ham. And if you do, there's a pretty good shot. You'd be buying it from a company based in Virginia called Smithfield Foods. And um, Smithfield's Foods, okay, uh, bought by a Chinese company. So next time you buy a holiday ham, profit from that is going to China. Um, a, a Hollywood company called Legendary Entertainment. Legendary Entertainment um, owns you know, Jurassic World, Warcraft, Pacific Rim, a whole bunch of movies. Uh, anyway, that's owned by the same company that bought Dalian Wanda, uh, that bought AMC, Dalian Wonder, so is the, they own uh, legendary entertainment. Not bad. Um, if you buy an appliance, right, there's a pretty good shot you'll buy a General Electric appliance, certainly over the last 100 years, right? If you didn't own a GE appliance, how about your parents? Uh, or do you happen to remember your grandparents' kitchen, General Electric appliance? Probably, right? Pretty good chance of that. Well, uh, General Electric Appliance is now a Chinese company. It's owned by Qingdao Hire, and uh, it was uh, it was a very very big purchase, a very uh, a very major purchase. But General Electric Appliances now owned by China. Got it? That's right. Pretty significant. Pretty significant. Uh, I'll explain where this is all going in just a moment, but. Uh, but first of all, I want to tell you a, a little story, all right? And this has to do with my website, which is rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, I'm hoping you will visit rabbidaniellappin.com soon and take a look at, uh, well, I'd just like you to see a whole lot of stuff. We really work quite hard. One of the things you'll notice is that on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com, for those of you whose memories have not locked it away yet in a vault, uh, the uh, articles, Susan's Musings show up, Ask the Rabbi shows up. Uh, the most recent Ask the Rabbi, uh, as of the time I'm recording this podcast, is from a woman who was shocked to have her son come to her to inform her to her astonishment that he was homosexual. And she asked 
us how she reacts to that, and we, we gave her uh, an explanation. And um, the interesting thing is that people comment, large numbers of people comment on all of these articles on our website, and uh, Mrs. Lappin and I do our utmost to absolutely respond to, if not all the comments, pretty close to all the comments. And I know some of you are wondering, when am I having her back on the, uh, on the podcast? And I'll tell you about that, uh, hopefully soon. But um, uh, what I want to first tell you about is this quick story. Uh, th- in the 19th century, uh, they were laying railways all across the United States, right? And um, there, was, there were two uh, laborers, Bill and Jeb. And Bill and Jeb were laying track in the desolate wilderness of the American West, it's about the hardest work you can imagine, and the two were old-timers. They'd been laying track for decades. One day, a surprise visit was made to the worksite by no less a dignitary than the president of the railroad himself. While inspecting the work that was going on, the great man came upon our pair of dusty laborers, Bill and Jeb, and his eyes lit up and he said, Why, hello, Jeb, you old scoundrel! Jeb looked bashful at first, but then the railroad president threw his arms around the exhausted laborer. He asked about Jeb's wife and family, shook his hand warmly, and then finally moved along to complete his inspection. Jeb's co-worker, Bill, was amazed. When did you ever know him? Jeb explained that 30 years earlier, the two of them had worked together laying track. Needless to say, through the intervening years, the other man had enjoyed far greater career success than had poor old Jeb. So, asked Bill of Jeb, what company were the two of you working for back then? Well, Jeb replied, he was working for the railroad. What do you mean he was working for the railroad? What about you? What were you working for? Oh, said Jeb, looking a little wistful, I was working for 50 cents a day. Yeah, some of us work just for the money. For others, work is a huge opportunity. And in the Lord's language, there is a specific word that is the word avodah. And this is a complicated word because it means, well, it means a few things. And uh, you know what? Later in the, in the show, I'll tell you a little bit more about what it means. But why do I tell you about this now? Because what I was reading to you came from the 16th chapter of my book called Buried Treasure. Now, you can read about that book, and you can order it if you want to on the website, but what I'm going to recommend you do is click a few buttons on Amazon and um, get it on your Kindle. Get it electronically right now, and uh, I'll tell you more about it. The book's called Buried Treasure, and uh, you can do a Kindle download on Amazon right away or visit our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. And it is your rabbi pausing for just a moment before I return to continue this show. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com liars. 
Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome back, my friends. Back to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, one of the ways the world really works is that when you mismanage something for a period of time, um, it gets damaged. And repairing it is costly and time-consuming. And the longer you mismanaged it, the more costly and the more time-consuming it is to repair it, right? This is true of a, uh, of a car, right? If you mismanage a car, you know, not doing the oil changes, not doing the maintenance, not cleaning it, not getting the uh, salt off after the winter, whatever it is, uh, the longer you neglect it, the more damaging it, 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 the more damage it inflicts and the longer it takes to put it right. Um, your own body, right? Same thing. Right? Very often people neglect their bodies, ignore their bodies, and then they get a health scare, and then all of a sudden, oh, we've got to start putting things right. Well, it's not so simple when there's been a lengthy period of neglect. Uh, the same is true with a family. If you've, if you've neglected the management of a family, if you've not been working on your children, you've not been raising them properly, uh, it, 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 it gets damaged, and uh, it, it takes time to get right. Right? It's, uh, it's obvious. I mean, if it, it takes a lot of work to raise children, a tremendous amount of work. And frankly, uh, in today's age where it is so commonly necessary for husband and wife, father and mother both to be working, that means nobody is minding the business. Nobody is tending to the family. The family gets whatever time happens to be left over at the end of the day. And uh, eventually you start saying to yourself, wait a second, you know, we've, we've, we've done this, we've done that, we've done the other, we've neglected the family. The more time that's gone by before you have that wake-up call, the more costly it is and the more time-consuming it is to repair that and to get it back again. Uh, I remember that, uh, I think I may have told you the story, but a member of my uh, congregation in Los Angeles, California, uh, once came over to my house and um, we walked in. We, we, we had been at a meeting together and I invited him back uh, to my house because there was something I wanted to show him, he wanted to see. And as we walked through the door, uh, the, the children, uh, all, all our kids who had been, you know, some had been playing, some had been doing homework, some had been, uh, I remember two of them were playing with a, a, a globe, right, a world globe. I, I, they were playing a geography game. trying to. Anyway, what happened is as we walked through the door, seven children stopped what they were doing and came running over to give me a, a hug or a greeting, and um, it, it felt wonderful. I, I loved that, but I didn't realize until we sat down in privacy in my study, I didn't realize how moved uh, it made this member of my congregation, my friend. And he, he found uh, himself with tears welling up in his eyes a little bit, and he said, my children don't do that. And so we chatted about that for a while, and I said, look, uh, it needs two things. Number one, it needs a wife who wants to see that happen. Because if you try and make it happen by yourself, 
um, it's the worst thing in the world because you come across as an egocentric buffoon. But if your wife were to do it, that changes everything. If she were to say to the children, you know, time, here's uh, daddy's at the door, come, let's go greet daddy, that changes everything. The other thing is that uh, it, it's going to take time. Your children are, are older than my children, and they've obviously never had this concept before. Anyways, um, uh, you won't be shocked to hear. I, I, I recommended that he not go into this unless he is ready for the situation to be uh, uh, to deteriorate, to become considerably worse long before it came to be better. That's a general rule, right? When you start fixing something, things get to be worse before they get to be better. This is a spiritual rule from ancient Jewish wisdom, and it applies to everything, right? You've got a small toothache. You know there's something wrong with your tooth, and, uh, and you leave it and you leave it. Finally, you drag yourself to the dentist. Well, you know, nowadays with, with Novocaine and, and the gentle um, uh, kind of dentistry practice today where you literally feel nothing. But it wasn't always like that. Some of you might remember that uh, dentistry used to hurt. You know, it, it was bearable, but it used to hurt. Well, as soon as the dentist starts repairing it, what's your first sensation? You know what? I wish I'd have left well alone. I wish I'd have just left that little pain alone. I could have managed with it much better than this pain that he's inflicting on me now. Now it's really horrible. And uh, so it is. You know, you've got a little water leak somewhere. You call the plumber. And then when you next look in on him two hours later, you know, three-quarters of the plaster on the wall is ripped out. You can see your framing. You can see the uh, electrical conduits. You can see the insulation and he's working on pipes you never even knew you had there. Hey, I all you are, I just asked you to do a leak. He says, well, yeah, but it, that leak was caused by... Anyways, you, the first uh, result of tackling a problem is that it gets much worse than it was before, right? So uh, you have a car that's been neglected, and you say, well, you know what? It's too long. Now i finally got to fix it up. Well, uh, you know, you'll suddenly find yourself without a car for a few days because... Part of the things that need replacing uh, require you to take something out, and you know how these things work. And while this is going on, you say to yourself, I'm dependent on public transport now or getting rides from friends, and that's all because I started. I should have just left it alone. But then finally, when the engine hums like a sewing machine and uh, the paint job is restored and everything is good, you, you at that point, you're happy. You know, it's good you did it, same as at the dentist. Finally, when the uh, Novocaine wears off and it's, the pain's gone away and you're, you can bite down on the tooth with, not, with no pain, oh, now it's great. The initial impact is always, and that, you know, I wish that uh, I'd left it well alone. Well, this is true for our country as well. Our country has been, I'd like to say, sadly neglected. The management of our country has been sadly neglected for 24 years at least. Uh, but it's worse than that. It's been willfully mismanaged by, uh, uh, you know, rob robbers and thieves and corrupt crooks and clowns. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been bad. 24 years, eight years of the Clinton team, uh, eight years of George W. Bush. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I know he's a Republican, but I'm sorry. There was not a successful presidency and just how bad it was uh, isn't even actually spoken about very much. But in terms – well, I'm not going to go into it now. But um, 
it was a very, very disappointing presidency. Uh, tremendous damage to the country economically and militarily, just bad, bad things. Uh, was it all exacerbated by 9-11? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that isn't what saved his presidency, to be honest. I'm not sure that that isn't what – I don't even know if he'd have got a second term. Do you feel I'm being a little too harsh on President George W. Bush? I don't think so. I, I really do think it was a failed presidency, uh, perhaps not as bad as the eight years that followed him of Barack Obama. Really, really bad. Whoever thought they would become a president, they would arrive a president who could make Billy Carter look half decent. Jimmy Carter, sorry. Uh, President Jimmy Carter, look half decent. But, uh, yeah, look, it's been 24 long, bad years. Do I think everything is fine now and that uh, all of a sudden Donald Trump is here and the Marines have arrived and there's sun rising on the horizon and everything's going to be good? Not by any means, right? It's not at all clear, but I do know that we have a better shot than we would have had with Hillary. With Hillary, and you've heard me speak on this before, with Hillary, it would have been all over. And I'm not going to go into details now, but you can go back to earlier podcasts if you, have, if you happen to be interested, explaining why I started uh, supporting Trump uh, very, early, very early indeed, um, because he wasn't Hillary. And I said that I, I can forgive anything he says or anything you criticize him for is just fine because he isn't Hillary. What did I expect from him? Uh, business pragmatism. What do we got from him? Business pragmatism for the most part. Uh, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, and I, I do think it is literally, uh, I think, November the 8th that night for anyone who was awake and, and watching what was going on, didn't it feel like a heaven-sent opportunity, a heaven-sent redemption, a heaven-sent second chance for America? I think so, because had Hillary won, it was all over, all over. So, uh, but remember, 24 years of mismanagement. That's a long time, my friends. Think about it. Some of you weren't born 24 years ago. 24 years ago, you were 24 years younger. It's a long time ago. It's a, it's a lot of years to mismanage a country. And um, among the, the results and consequences of all of this, well, uh, back to companies that have been bought by the Chinese. Uh, how about the Waldorf Astoria? My goodness, what a legendary gilded palace. The Waldorf Astoria on Park Avenue in New York. I've actually stayed there, I think, maybe two nights in my life. It's not inexpensive, and it was on the uh, on the bill of um, – actually, one time was my bill, actually. There was a reason for it, and the other time was the bill of a client. Anyway, it's a glorious hotel, prime real estate, owned by the Anabang Insurance Company of China. That's right, exactly. Talking of hotels, uh, there's a company called um, um, the Strategic Hotels and Resorts. Um, that includes Ritz-Carlton locations around California. How about the Fairmont Scottsdale in Arizona? I've uh, been the um, scholarly in residence for a Passover 
retreat conference over there, Fairmont Scottsdale, Arizona, fine, fine hotel, Four Seasons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, if any of you have been over there, all of that owned now by China, the name of the uh, company owning it is the Anabang Company, they've also bought a whole lot of insurance interests in America, it's been quite amazing. Um, League of Legends is uh, a big title in the video game world, and uh, the company that built it, Riot Games. Uh, the Chinese company Tencent owns Riot Games. How about Ingram Micro? I've known about Ingram Micro for a long time. Uh, it's, it's had some very fine uh, management over the years, and they've done an awful lot. Ingram Micro. Uh, they distribute iPhones, Cisco network equipment, a whole lot of stuff. Anyway, China's HNA Group, yep, spent $6 billion one day out shopping and took home Ingram Micro. Uh, talking about electronics, Motorola. Okay, so Motorola um, was an early, early leader in telecommunications. My very first um, portable phone was a three-watt brick that you had to carry with a handle. You could carry it to the car, and you'd plug it into the cigarette lighter and plug it into an external antenna. And um, it, it was pre-digital, by the way. It was an analog phone. That was a Motorola device. And then was the, the earlier Motorola handhelds and then the Motorola flip phones. It's an absolute legend in American telecommunications. <clears throat> anyway, uh, today, Lenovo right, who also bought the ThinkPad computer line from IBM. Lenovo owns uh, the Motorola phones company, right? That's <laughs> all right. This stuff is not insignificant, my friends. I've got to tell you, not insignificant. So, um, so I told you a legendary entertainment went. Uh, I told you GE Appliance Business went to China. Um, I told you, uh, uh, of course, Ingram Micro I told you about. That's important. Uh, oh, I didn't tell you about Hilton Worldwide. All right, H&A Tourism. It's a Chinese conglomerate um, bought from the Blackstone Group uh, a, a big stake in Hilton Worldwide. All right, not bad. That's another big deal. Very, very big deal. So what... What is going on? Well, it's not all that simple. And I'm going to do my very best to explain it to you. Uh, but first of all, before I take a break, I again ask you to please connect with me in the same way that I connect with you through uh, the podcast and through the shows I'm trying to do right now. You connect with me by going to my website. That's where you can shoot me an email or write a comment on, on something that uh, I've, I've said or done or written. Uh, that is where you can ask a question. It's where you can read more of our stuff. You can stay in touch. You can support the American Alliance of Jews and Christians if your heart pulls you in that direction. And you can also take a look at a book called Buried Treasure. Now, uh, Buried Treasure is a very interesting book. But uh, I'm going to continue telling you about the idea of work. And the point of avodah, the Hebrew word for work, um, is that, well, what it means is that it not only means work, but it also means service. 
And here's the interesting thing. It is used in the form of service in the time where Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may serve God in the desert. That's the word used, avodah. Uh, there's in, uh, in the book of Joshua, I think it's, it's chapter 15, Joshua says, you can do what you like, but as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. And uh, that's the word avodah. But it's also used for work. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it, right? That means to do a day's work. And uh, the fourth commandment says, six days shalt thou do all thy work, but are not on the seventh day. So what do we know? And again, what I point out in the book Buried Treasure is that um, Jewish culture, ancient Jewish wisdom, is the only culture in the world that equates serving God with work. Now, what is work? Well, work is what you do to make money, right? No, that's what uh, Jeb did. But we work in order to serve God's other children. And the remarkable thing is the incredible change this makes for how you work and how successfully you work. When you're no longer working to make money, but you're working to serve other people, everything changes dramatically. And uh, we make this point that one of the ways of serving God is to worship him. But you know what the other way of serving God is? Taking care of his children. Because that's what doing your work is. Right? I can't think of a single job, no matter what you do for your living, no matter what work you do, I can't think of a single thing that would not be taking care of the needs of God's other children. And so... Uh, ancient Jewish wisdom points out, and I teach this in chapter 16 of the book, Buried Treasure, that the idea of work is that you are worshiping God. There's nothing we can do that is menial. We are serving the Lord. By, can you imagine what a change, this, uh, how this impacts your work, what a difference it makes, how it changes, even how you drive to work in the morning? If you really can wrap yourself around this idea, and I show you how to do it, uh, it makes a very big difference. So off you go to, um, you know what you can do? You can go to Amazon, go to look up Buried Treasure by Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and uh, download it right away to your Kindle. That's a neat way of doing it. I've become uh, more and more of a fan of Kindle, not to the exclusion of books, but uh, in addition to books. Okay, quick break. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Be back with you in a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. I just wanted to tell you about this really neat thing about knitting and code. Like, wow, look at that. You can use your knitting for all kinds of <laughs> espionage and surreptitious things. I could, I could knit a Tom Baker scarf, and then I could probably, you know, knit the secret of the universe in Morse code in there. And yeah. No one would ever know. Yeah. 40 Acres and a Fool. On demand. Download episodes at theblaze.com slash radio. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Back again, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And, uh, yeah, look, uh, a lot of us, and, uh, and, and this was evident even before November the 8th, the elections last year, 
uh, a lot of us prefer the blunt and unprepared honesty of President Trump uh, to the that horrible. Um, I mean, yeah. Look, I'll, I, I'm going to say it. I, I was repelled by the brittle, self-righteous facade of President Obama. I was. Um, I was repelled by the his his reliable, consistent pattern of elevating compassion into a supreme and overriding political principle. Okay, it, it was look. Uh, what can I say? It's uh, it, that was eight years of mismanaging the system, mismanaging the country, and now, well, I think somebody has started the repair. But remember, the general rule is that the very first impact of the attempt to repair many years of neglect and mismanagement, the very first impact is to make you think it's even worse than it was before. And I think, sure enough, that is happening. Uh, the kicking and screaming on the part of the left, their rabid rhetoric, uh, the howling of the parasitic bureaucracy, and the cascade of feverish accusations and innuendos, all of that, all of that is the equivalent of uh, my friend going home and telling his family that he wants the children to greet him at the door when he comes home. You can imagine how they reacted. And he did not get his wife on board. You won't be shocked to hear that they got divorced a few months after. Do I feel uh, responsible for that? No, of course not. Actions are things that each one of us have the ability to decide whether to do them or not to do them. Uh, to blame gun manufacturers for shootings is, is childish and inane. Uh, to, um, to blame advertisers for purchases that people make, just plain stupid. Makes absolutely no sense. The foundation of human autonomy is that each and every one of us has a choice about the actions we choose to do or not to do. It's as simple as that. And civilization rests on that very simple fact. One of the reasons, and this is something I spoke about on my website uh, quite recently in the context of a, a question on homosexuality to which I alluded a little bit earlier, is that uh, one of the very important principles from the Bible is that homosexuality is not an identity. Right? It would be as silly as calling me a, a blonde lover. Right? I am certainly attracted to blonde women, but to suppose that that's the defining characteristic, that makes me who I am, it's absurd. Right? That your sexual preferences should be your defining characteristic, complete nonsense. All right, and, uh, and the same is true in homosexuality. To call somebody, oh, he is a sodomite, or he is a homosexual, or whatever it is. No, he's not. He's a human being just like you and me who chooses to perform certain activities. That's all, and that is the choice. You see, people like the idea now that, oh, there's no choice in homosexuality. It's just how you're born. You can't change. No, it's not an identity. It's an action. That's all there is to it. And like any other action, 
it is a matter of decision, of voluntary choice, that each and every single human being does. That's, that's how it is. And so uh, on we go with uh, the part of the, the results of this deterioration. Um, about a year after the Anabank, Chinese company Anabank, purchased the Waldorf Astoria, uh, they thought, oh, we're on a roll. This is great. They also bought the Starwood Hotel chain. That gave them another 1,300 hotels in America. So now, uh, whether it's Hilton or Sheraton or the Waldorf Astoria or, in many cases, the Ritz-Carlton or the Four Seasons or the Fairmont chain, uh, you are giving part of your um, rate, part of the fee you pay at the hotel. Well, guess where that's going? That's right, to China. And um, let me give you one more company as well, because this is important. Uh, I'm sure that even now the, the list is bigger than you realize. And by the way, I'm obviously only talking about huge companies. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other smaller companies that China has bought over the last five years, and their rate of purchase is only going up. And um, and nobody talks about those because the deals are not multi-billion-dollar deals. You know, they're $150 million deals. Yes, they are buying a whole bunch of small companies as well. And um, so the last one, let me just give you the last one because I want to talk about Caterpillar uh, perhaps as we move al along a little bit. And uh, the Caterpillar tractor company, right, those yellow earth-moving machines we all love. Uh, well, one of the... Um, uh, big American companies that make huge machines for construction and earth moving and agriculture and generally in industry. Their name is Terex, uh, based in Connecticut. It's a big, big, big company, and they have been bought just in the last few months. They were bought by a Chinese firm called Zoom. I don't know if it's Zoom Leon or Zoom Lion, but it's spelled Zoom L I O N. Zoom Lion Heavy Industries uh, purchased the Terex Corp. So um, all of these things are going on. And if you listen to the left, it's, everything's fine. It's not a problem at all. As a matter of fact, they even explain that it's a good thing. They do. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, one academic um, said... And he spoke about it, he wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal. He was, um, he was mocking um, President Trump. Uh, he, President Trump said in his inaugural address, um, the factories shuttered and left our shores with not even a thought about the millions and millions of American workers that were left behind. And uh, this particular academic... Um, his name is Matthew Slaughter, uh, says that, oh, academic research has repeatedly found that when U.S. multinationals hire more people at their overseas affiliates, it does not come at the expense of American jobs. Okay, so, my friends, you've got a choice. You can either listen to an academic right, who's probably in his whole life never, ever got dirt under his fingernails, uh, or you can listen to your rabbi. But I've got a better suggestion. Just trust your own instinct. Leave the experts 
Leave the academics, leave the authorities, leave the studies, leave the researchers. Just figure it out for yourself. When a company closes because it's sending work overseas, tell me again how that's good for the folks who lost their jobs. Do you remember Jonathan Gruber? He was the academic who uh, worked with, with Obama on uh, uh, the Obamacare medical. He was the one who said afterwards that this, uh, the entire passage of Obamacare depended on the stupidity of the American voter. Right? Well, folks, we didn't make that mistake again, did we, back in November? So, uh, uh, I mean, I'm just telling you what he wrote in the Wall Street Journal, that, oh, it's a good thing. It works out just fine. No, it really doesn't work out just fine. And if you don't believe me, just drive through towns. Drive through towns. There's towns in the Midwest. I drove through, I, I told you about it recently, I drove through a New York State a few weeks back. I mean, not the whole state, just um, uh, basically up the state to Buffalo. And uh, But I passed through numerous, I love taking small roads, and very often we leave the uh, the main roads and, and you don't do 50 or 60 miles on a parallel smaller road that was replaced by the freeway. So obviously it's slower, but it's much more interesting. And you pass through small towns. And you can see these are towns that had huge industry way back. Um, one of them is Corning, by the way, right, where Corning glass. Okay, well, a lot of that's a lot of glass isn't made there anymore. And you look at Corning, and you know what? I don't think the folks in Corning buy this academic's explanation. Oh, it's just fine when companies uh, move away. Everything works out okay because it does produce more work in total. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> um, we uh, A little while ago, we were in Marble, Colorado. It's a, it's a town about, I don't know, 20 miles uh, away from Aspen. And um, it used to be, I think, the biggest or second biggest industrial town in the state of Colorado. Um, marble is, is the site of an enormous marble deposit. And uh, the, the Lincoln Memorial and, oh, the, I think the Supreme Court, or many, many, many of the famous buildings around the country uh, that have marble cladding or marble floors, the marble came from a town called Marble. And there were thousands of workers, and it was they were busy shipping out marble all the time and cutting it. And they were experts. Uh, you know, they were the equal of Italian marble workmen uh, where they are today. But today, all gone. And there are a few artists and artisans, but all those folks who no longer had work, that's good. How about the stores? How about the grocery store in marble? Is better off because the jobs went elsewhere? Anyway, I'm, I know it's self-evident. You probably say to yourself, oh, come on already. How much more time is he going to spend beating this dead horse? Obviously, when jobs go, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. <laughs> what is he doing? Well, you know, what I'm doing is I'm trying to, uh, to inoculate you against the, the constant barrage of, of noise that and attacks you're going to hear all the time. I've been I've been picking up on this for a long time already. That um, 
that there's absolutely nothing wrong. This is a good thing when jobs go, oh, it's an expansion. It's better for everybody. Uh, after all, is, uh, is Trump stupid enough to think it's a zero-sum game? Well, that just shows how much they understand. Because while it is true that within a specific defined economy, like, for instance, the United States economy, uh, making money is not a zero-sum game. I've, I've lectured and taught on this for years and years. Obviously not. However, uh, they are completely wrong to suppose that that is also the case in international trade. That isn't necessarily um, the, uh, the, the same at all. That is very often a zero-sum. And right now, the proof of that is pretty obvious, which is, do you really think that Chinese folks are walking around wearing American-made shoes and driving American-made cars? No, they're not. Not at all. It is one way. <clears throat> it is very definitely a zero-sum. Now, when does the left get upset? They get upset with corporate inversion. Corporate inversion is when an American company uh, with a tremendously high confiscatory rate of corporate taxation uh, buys a company, shall we say, in, in Ireland, and then they uh, invert it so that the company bought now becomes the owning company, which means the company leaves America, is now based in Ireland, and so their taxation rate drops to a fraction of what they were paying in America. And now uh, Chuck Schumer and all the Democrats get hugely upset about this, and they find all kinds of ways to change the tax law and to penalize to such an extent, by the way, I think you know that they're also penalizing individuals who want to leave America. Uh, it's talk of inversion. It's like the Soviet Union, right? It was hard to get out of the Soviet Union. It's, it, under Obama, it got hard to get out of America. Uh, they, they placed a very tax, high tax burden on anybody wanting to leave the country. Well, that's what they do with companies as well. The answer, of course, is very simple, which is change the corporate tax code and lower the corporate tax rate. Nobody will go through that nonsense because it ends up with this problem of um, dollars in other countries. Again, all of this not good for the United States of America. So when it comes to actually dollars outside the country, they, oh, yeah, we get that. Oh, that's bad, bad, bad. But when jobs leave the country, which is obviously the uh, fundamental uh, step one in dollars leaving the country, that they don't mind about. I want to give you a reason why they don't mind it so much. One of the reasons they don't mind it so much and, uh, you know, why, in other words, why do academics like um, uh, Matthew Slaughter from uh, Dartmouth College uh, writes an article in the journal about, oh, it's no problem at all. Uh, exporting jobs is not a problem. It's a good thing. Um, I think the, the point which nobody's writing about yet is, except for me, <laughs> is that um, the jobs that are going are man jobs. The jobs that are staying are women jobs. Now, I'm not saying that every, uh, everybody writing code at Google or Apple uh, are women. Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying they could be. Right? There's, there's no reason at all. I know women don't choose, for the most part, to take careers in, in science and technology and engineering and maths. I know that. But generally speaking, uh, there's no problem. There's no reason why they couldn't, and they could. But the jobs that are leaving are the jobs that women never take. The jobs that are leaving are the jobs of guys who work enormous hydraulic presses stamping out uh, parts 
the, the jobs that are leaving are the, the jobs building oil refineries and nuclear power stations, guys who, these are all men. And I do believe that the left has such antipathy for masculinity that uh, they, they almost, uh, they, they resent it, they don't like it. And I'm quite sure that Matthew Slaughter doesn't have a single friend who, who gets his hands dirty. I don't think he has such a friend. And if I'm wrong about Matthew Slaughter, I'm right about millions and millions of other uh, progressive socialist people in government, in entertainment, in politics, in the bureaucracies of government, in media. Uh, these are those guys who are there and the women there. They do not get men who work with their hands. They don't understand them. And you know what? They couldn't care less if those jobs leave the United States of America. That's the real problem. That's what's going on. I want to explain a little bit more about this as soon as we come back. But uh, for now, the website, RabbiDanielLappin.com. Go to the store and buy something, right? It'll bring you pleasure. It'll bring you value. And heaven knows it'll bring me value too. So go to the website, RabbiDanielLappin.com. Visit the store. Uh, take a look at Buried Treasure, by the way. It's a terrific book. I've just been rereading Chapter 16 on um, basically changing your work habits because when you change the way you think about your work deeply and meaningfully, uh, you change the way you work. It really does make a difference. Um, I tell the story about uh, um, what I call the cathedral concept. It's a famous old story of a traveler who encountered a workman fiercely pounding away at a stone with a hammer and chisel. When asked what he was doing, the angry man put down his hammer and answered in a frustrated tone, I'm trying to shape the stone and it is backbreaking work. The traveler continued and found a second man doing similar work. He appeared to be neither happy or angry. When he asked what he was doing, he paused in his hammering and replied, I'm shaping a stone for a building. Uh, a third worker that uh, the traveler encountered was singing happily as he chipped at his stone. What are you doing? He was asked. Without missing a beat of his mallet, the worker responded, I am building a cathedral. Well, that's what they were all doing. But the first, for the first man, it was just drudgery. The second man didn't have the imagination to even understand what the end result of what he was doing was. The third man derived enormous meaning from his work because he realized what it was really doing for other people, perhaps even ultimately what it was doing for God. How we see our work is really, really important. But that's only one of many chapters in that book each one of which I deal with something equally important and equally life-changing. It's called Buried Treasure. You can download it right now for your Kindle at Amazon. Just go and look for Buried Treasure by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And, uh, uh, or you can get it in, in a book form at the website, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Okay, quick break and back to uh, wrap up what at least as much as I can do today on this uh, particular topic. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. 
To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings again, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for being with me here, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. And uh, I... um, Appreciate very much you being here, and as always, uh, to whatever extent you can help in uh, publicizing the show and promoting it, I appreciate that very much indeed. I said a little bit earlier, the extent to which civilization depends on everyone understanding no one else can make you do anything. Your actions are your decisions. You have to take responsibility for that. There has to be real accountability, not like politicians who after they've been caught with their fingers in the cookie jar, um, whether it's Hillary or anybody else, it's always the same. I take responsibility for my actions. And then they continue in their position. They don't take responsibility means there are consequences. But um, that, of course, is an unreal world. Uh, In the world of uh, government bureaucracy, it's an unreal world. There are no consequences. Therefore, there is no responsibility and no accountability. But in the real world, there are. And uh, it's really important to teach our kids as well, by the way. Nobody can make you do anything. Uh, It may sound ridiculous, but in one form or another, girls have been manipulated in this way for a very long time, which is uh, essentially, and I'm I'm giving you an exaggerated form of it, but a a guy says to a girl, if you don't sleep with me, I'm going to cut my finger off. And uh, she said, oh, that would be horrible. I I don't want to be responsible for you cutting off your feet. Well, you know what to do then. And and then afterwards, she'd say, well, he made me do it. And in one form or another, I'm sure any parent has heard a child saying, well, he or she made me do it. So it really becomes very important, not only for the formation and maintenance of a family, but for... uh, preserving and protecting a culture and a civilization as well. No, nobody can make you do anything unless they are holding a knife to your throat or a gun to your back. That that would change it. But otherwise, other than that, no, nobody makes you do anything. And I'm particularly disturbed. And you know how these things are. I've just had this thought on my mind for a long time. And um, in between, in between recording Uh, different parts of today's show, um, I got a message from a friend and colleague who uh, brought to my attention, had no idea that I was talking about this today, brought to my attention a case in Massachusetts. Now, I will say Massachusetts has a very broadly defined uh, law of homicide. Um, And so I'm not sure that other states would work the same. But no matter, it remains a problem. What is the story? Um, about two years ago, Michelle Carter um, basically um, she had a boyfriend, and she uh, she told him he should kill himself, and she sent him lots and lots of text messages, and she kept on encouraging him to kill himself, and uh, and then eventually he put himself in his truck and turned with a, a hosepipe from the exhaust into the cabin. And um, at one point, he stumbled out of the, f- the car, and he called her, 
and um, and he said he didn't he, he didn't want to die. And she said to him, "Get back in the car and, and you know go ahead and take your life. Go ahead and do." Which he did, and he died. And now uh, she has been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter in the death of a boyfriend. Look, I think it's a big mistake. It's a big problem. And the the only aspect of it that I, I don't know enough about, uh, and so uh, I, I would need to know that before I said anything absolutely definitive, but um, what I don't know about is the extent to which she uh, should could have called somebody else or could she have made anyone else aware of the fact that he was dying? Uh, it, to, to a large extent, it depends on on some of the more more of the details of what was going on and what her state was, than uh, than I have been able to find in the news. But uh, this story is on CNN and most of the other news sites. It's Michelle Carter, uh, Michelle Carter, who caused the uh, the death of her boyfriend, uh, Conrad Roy, and all of this is in Massachusetts. Uh, I think it's a you know barring barring information that I don't know. I think it's a very dangerous thing. It's, as far as I know, it's the first time in America that a case like this has uh, has has found somebody guilty, and um, and I think it's it's a it's a very dangerous precedent. The, uh, once you open up this door that somebody uh, is responsible when they talk to you, then it, the whole thing becomes subjective. After that, anybody can simply say, well, I, I felt he was he was making me feel I didn't have a choice. He was making me feel I had to do it. Person says, what are you talking about? I was, I was talking about a hypothetical case. No, I took it seriously. Well, now you're responsible. I think it's very dangerous. Uh, nobody can make anybody else do anything, and, uh, and they should not. It, it, it becomes a very dangerous precedent. Okay, back to Chinese-owned companies, back to uh, uh, balance of trade deficits. And, you know, what's going on here? Why is China buying all these companies? Well, because they have a lot of dollars. Why do they have a lot of dollars? Because we are buying a lot of products from China, and we pay dollars for them. And if you don't believe me, just look again at your shoes, look again at your computer, look at the tools you bought at the hardware store. Take a look where they are made now. Now, a few years ago, um, I used to shy away from any Chinese-made tool. Right? I regarded it was cheap and shoddy, and I, I liked American-made tools. Uh, I used to buy Snap-on tools, and uh, I used to buy Craftsman tools. Well, Sears is busy closing another 50 stores. Uh, the Craftsman brand has been sold. And I don't, I don't think you can get a craftsman tool that isn't made in China today. I don't know about uh, snap-on tools. I'm not sure where they're made, but I wouldn't be surprised. I just don't know. But it's becoming harder and harder and harder. Everything we buy is made in China. Check that camera, right? There was a time, I, I'm sure in the living memory of, of some of you, where the only worthwhile camera to buy was a German camera. You bought a Leica. Uh, or you might, or a Rolleiflex, uh, or you might have bought a Swedish Hasselblad, but then there were many, many years where these phenomenal cameras were being produced in Japan. Initially, Japanese cameras were junk, but it became really high-quality cameras, and the glass, the lenses, was terrific, and uh, and now even Japanese name-brand cameras are made in China. So China's got all this money, 
And uh, what do they do with it? Well, they obviously have to buy stuff. They have to buy assets. And uh, they buy American businesses and American companies. Good for us? Of course it isn't good for us. Let me give you a little bit of a, a, a thought experiment, okay? Let's, let's just try and reduce the scale of the discussion to something we can relate to and something that's manageable. I always like doing this when I'm trying to focus on what does ancient Jewish wisdom really say about a particular problem or about a particular situation. So I'm going to uh, uh, stipulate here uh, two islands a few miles away from each other, and that's all we're looking at, this little universe of two islands. Let's call one of them Winky Land. It starts with a W because the people there work hard. And we'll call the other one Pinky Land because the people there play more than they work, okay? And there are Winky Dollars and Pinky Dollars. On Winky Land, they have Winky Dollars. And on Pinky Land, they have Pinky Dollars. And, you know, there's, shall we say, uh, 30 miles separating the island. It's not critical. It doesn't matter. Now, the uh, folks on Winky Land work very hard producing all kinds of fruit and veggies, and they chop firewood and pile it up, and they catch fish, and they dry the fish, and they've got racks and racks and racks of dried fish, and they uh, make they turn the coral into beautiful jewelry. And, um, and the, these guys who do this, right, the farmers and the fishermen and all these people, they don't eat or consume nearly all they produce because they're hardworking. Think Germans, by the way. Uh, hard working, and so they've got lots and lots and lots left over, and uh, and they sell that right. So obviously they sell firewood to the fishermen, and the fishermen sell fish to the guys who make veggies. And but they're still left over, and as a result, uh, winky dollars are of are backed by this enormous reserve of assets like piles of firewood and and storehouses of jewelry and maybe they mine coal and and they've got dried fish etc etc now on binky land those those pinks there they produce just enough to feed themselves okay because they are very they eat a lot they got big tummies they like eating and um and and they don't produce any uh, excess the fishermen well, they grow just enough, produce just enough fish. The uh, veggie guys grow just enough to eat and to sell uh, so they can buy fish. And the fish guys may do uh, just enough fishing to eat their fish and to sell the balance to get as much coal as they need. But there's no reserves at all because Pinky Land folks uh, play more than they work. Think, uh, think um, uh, Greece and maybe... I'm sorry about this, but think, yes, think the United States of America too. Because uh, one of the things that happens is that um, in America and in Greece, we like high pay. And the pay has nothing to do with productivity. In other words, for many, many years already, uh, companies, owners of large companies have not been allowed to negotiate for workers at whatever price makes sense to them. The uh, price has been imposed on them by the unions. Okay, yes, that is a problem. Wa was there a problem in the other direction that unions solved 100 years ago? Sure, of course. But we're now we're talking now. And uh, this is like Pinky Land because they, they like a lot of stuff. 
the uh, Pinky Land fisherman wants a lot of jewelry, or maybe his wife does, but whatever it is, uh, they need a lot of stuff. They just like a lot of stuff, and they don't like working as hard as their consumption would suggest. So, um, so what happens? Uh, one day, the Binky Land people, the Pinky folks, realize that they can make their people very happy by minting money and giving it to the Winky Land people in exchange for fruit and veggies and firewood and fish and jewelry. Why would Winky Land agree to take Pinky Land money in exchange for all their growing pile? Well, because they've got to do something. They've got piles and piles and piles of stuff as a result of the enormous productivity of the Winky Land residents. They got all these stuff. They got to do something with it. And here, the Pinky Land folks are willing to buy it from them with Pinky Land money. And they think, well, that's okay because there'll there'll always be something in Pinky Land we can buy. Maybe we'll go on vacation there. We'll 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 have them bring us drinks while we lie on the beach. You know, those we'll we'll make them work for us. That'll work. But there'll always be something we can spend our Pinky Land money on. And so. Uh, all the Winky Land people uh, are very excited because there's this new market. And what's more, some Pinky, uh, some Winky Land people start building boats because the um, the uh, Pinky, the, the Winky Land people now want to ship all their excess products over to Pinky Land. So guys build boats, and the uh, Pinky Land farmers and fishermen and jewelry makers buy the boats. And they row them over the 30 miles to, uh, to uh, Pinky Land in order to sell their stuff. Now, Pinky Land doesn't even have a harbor because they're so lazy, they haven't bothered to build one. And so, uh, or they've built one, but it's a, a tired old one. It's, it's not very effective or efficient. It's not uh, deep enough. It doesn't have strong enough docks. Whatever it is, the Winky Land people come and they say, I'll tell you what, we'll buy that harbor from you. Does this ring a bell, by the way? Uh, the largest harbor in America, owned by the Chinese, maybe. Uh, anyway, the the Winky people go ahead, and the the uh, the the Binky Land people are only too happy to sell the harbor. The the uh, Winky Land people take over its management and its maintenance, and uh, and they use it to bring their boats in, filled with all the things that the Pinky Land people want. Time goes by, and um, and the Pinky Land currency is simply not as valuable as the Pinky as the Winky Land currency is because of the relative productivities, and so the uh, the 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 Winky Land people, the hardworking island, they've got to do something with their money uh, so as that it doesn't get overly valued in that sense. And so one of the things they do is they start buying more and more stuff from Pinky Land. They already are buying all the uh, the the the, the uh, they are already uh, they are already selling, but they're buying the harbor, they're buying beachfront, uh, they're buying land, and now they start buying Pinky Land businesses as well. And that way, instead of just putting, they started off putting all their Pinky Land dollars in Pinky Land banks. But the trouble is that Pinky Land banks weren't paying very high rates of interest to their depositors because they didn't have anything terribly exciting to do with their deposits. And so finally, 
uh, Winkyland people start buying the, ba- the, the, the companies and the land and the hotels and the beachfront and the manufacturers, and they start buying all this up. And meanwhile, academics in Pinkyland are saying, oh, it's fine, nothing to worry about, everything is good. And the reality is that it's not good at all. Because pretty soon, you see, let me put it this way. Would you rather own your own land or would you be a tenant? You want to have a, be a farmer on your own land or you want to be a tenant farmer? Would you like to own your own house or would you like to uh, live in a rented apartment? What would you rather do? Okay. Would you rather have your own business? It's wonderful to have your own business. Or would you rather be an employee? Well, pretty soon, do you see that the folks in Pinky Land have diminishing options? More and more of their land is owned by Winky Landers. More and more of their uh, hotels are owned by Winky Landers. More of their businesses are owned by Winky Landers. And so pretty soon, uh, Pinky Landers, well, you could say they are becoming enslaved to Winky Land. And if you said that, <laughs> you wouldn't be far wrong. Yes, my friends, uh, you can play around with that idea of the two islands, Winkyland and Pinkyland, and you can see very quickly that uh, they are a, a very good fit. It's a, it's a, it's a workable metaphor uh, or a model for what we have going on right now. And it helps you understand that, yes, the country has been dramatically mismanaged for 24 years. We're looking at the results of that. Uh, we may be watching the beginning of a restoration. We may be watching the beginning of a repair job. But like all repair jobs, after years and years of neglect and mismanagement, the initial impact is pain and suffering and, tr- and difficulty and challenge. It's not easy. Uh, but that still would be the best thing to do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is as ab- about as good and as honest and as accurate and as truthful a picture I can portray and paint for you today of where we are today, yes, here in the United States of America. That brings us to the end of the show. Visit the website at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, find something of value to you there and buy it. I'm sounding like a winky lander now. And uh, also... Look specifically for a book called Buried Treasure, uh, or why don't you just download it at Amazon? Uh, it's on Kindle, and uh, for a very reasonable price, you can go ahead and get it right away. The book is actually an asset. It really is. It's an investment in the sense that it not only shines light on important things like family and like work and relationships, uh, but much more importantly than that even, it actually gives you conversations to share with your family, conversations to share with your children and your relatives, friends, co-workers. Um, you know, it's, it's always better to talk about ideas than about people. Here is a way of coming up. There are 29 chapters. Each one is an in-depth study of one particular topic that shapes our lives. That's about as far as we go, my friends. Thank you so much for being with me here on the podcast. I value your participation. I count every single download. I really I really do. I'm obsessive about it. And I translate in my mind's eye each one into another listener who is connected with me. And hopefully you will connect with me on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. So until next week, I wish you a week of good health 
and prosperity. I'm your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.